It all started with a hammer and a nail. Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the All Saints Cathedral, the All Saints Church outside Wittenberg. He didn't mean to start a revolution. He just wanted to talk. He just wanted to talk about the things that he saw that was wrong with the church. And if you know your church history, you know all hell broke loose. That little fat, balding monk set the world on fire. I like Martin Luther. And there's nothing wrong with being a little thick and being a little balding. Amen. <laughs> he did this at this time of year. He nailed his list of things that were wrong with the church. 95 separate things that they were doing wrong. You want to know one of the things they were doing? We just took an offering. Imagine if you were doing that to get saved. That's exactly the environment that Luther was in. The Catholic Church said you could pay your way into heaven. You could buy your family members into heaven. That, why do you think all those cathedrals are so beautiful? And so it's in this environment that Luther is saying, no, no, no. His heart was filled with the love of God and his mind was filled with the truth of God and he wasn't afraid to speak. And he got in all kinds of trouble. And his central message all through that time was simple. It's found in Romans chapter 4, what we're going to study today. And it's the simple truth that has sparked more reformation and more revivals of thought. The just shall live by faith. Say it with me. The just shall live by faith. Say it like an angry fat monk. The just shall live by faith. This is the heart of the Reformation. This is what single-handedly changed the course of human history and the church forever. That we now have this great history to, to, to lean back on and say, how are we with the counsels of Scripture? But notice, Luther got in all kinds of trouble. All kinds of trouble for the sake of the Word of God. Has the Word of God ever got you in trouble? I don't believe you. Has the word of God ever got you in trouble? Yes. Have you ever lost your job? Have you ever been persecuted? Have you because of the convictions you have of the word? It's the scriptures, my friends. This is one time the Pope, the leader of the church, there's only one church at that time, calls him a heretic and brings him before the great council and wants him to repent and recant. And he's there before all these religious leaders. It's called the diet of worms. And it's a weird word. He's not eating worms. It wasn't a special keto diet back in the day. He was just as, this is where he was at. It was, that's what it was called. And they're, they're like, Luther, either you recant or we're going to kill you. And he stands there. As a matter of conscience, according to the testimony of Scripture, I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. Only a man whose heart is filled with the love of God, whose mind is stabled by the truth of God, would be able to stand under such pressure. The just shall live by faith. I know this wasn't my typical introduction. Uh, but, you know, I did knock on doors, so I have a joke for you guys. You ready? 
you want a knock-knock joke to make you guys, you know, Novocaine before the drill? You ready? You want a, you want a knock-knock joke or not? Well, knock-knock. Who's there? Who? I said it wrong, didn't I? See, that's the funny one. Now this is the second knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Owen. Owen three, like those Yankees. Hey! <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, go Astros. That's right. And if you Cowboys fans want to go for a winning team, the, the Strohs are your bet. The Strohs are your bet. Hey, I like the Astros. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, folks. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's sanctify our, sanctify our minds. Lord God, as we open up the counsel of the word... Open up our hearts. Open up our hearts. Lord, just as Luther would lay on the ground and cry tears of desperation and, and say to God, save me, we echo his prayer. Save us, God. Save us, God. Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We're going to be looking at chapters 4 and 5. Aren't you enjoying the Romans series? I know all the theology nerds in the, in the house are just saying yes and amen. It is a long time coming. How many of you just love the epistle of Romans? I do. I love Romans. And so it is time to geek out. So get your glasses on and your notes ready. Romans chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the story of the father of the faithful Abraham. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted for him for righteousness. Turn to your neighbors and say, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God and he was thought of as righteous. This is the central tenet of our faith. Justification by faith. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Abraham was an Iraqi. Does that, does that mess you up geopolitically right now? <laughs> Newsflash. Americans. Abraham was from modern-day Iraq. He's from the Ur of the Chaldees, between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. The, the lands don't change, people. Titles do. But Abraham was from Iraq. He was an Iraqi, but he had, a, he had an experience with God, and he began to move and trust. He left everything that he owned, all of his land, all of his prominence, all of his finances, his family, his relatives. He left it all because God gave him a promise. And Abraham, not seeing, was walking out in obedience. And he became the father of the faithful. The Jewish faith traces it back to Abraham, the, the Eber people, which became the Hebrew people. The, the Christian faith traced their lineage all the way back to the faith of Abraham. Even the Muslim faith traces their lineage back to Abraham. He is the father of the faithful, and I heard that he had many sons. Perhaps you're one of them. There's a lot of church people in the room today. I will adjust my message accordingly. But Abraham, 
he's the father of the faithful, and he's an inspiration for us today. So there I was. I was in Jerusalem, and I wanted to see it. I wanted to go to the spot on the earth where I knew Abraham would be, had been. So I went to the most holy of holy places. It's called the Temple Mount, and it is forbidden. It is, you're not allowed to be there. It's controlled by the Palestinian WAF. The authorities own it. You're not allowed to go up to the Temple Mount, especially if you're not an American or if you're a Christian or if you're a Jew. The rabbis forbid it. It is forbidden, but it is the place in which Abraham offered Isaac at the great sacrifice. So somehow I got in. I guess they were scanning the people, and they're like, okay, you can't go in. But he looks kind of, okay, you can go, you know. I think it was a beard, you know. And so they, they let me in. I get up there, and I'm like, all right, this is it. I'm going to go right to the spot. So I went to the spot, and on this real place on the earth, historically recorded, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history, on this one particular spot, this is where Abraham Offered Isaac. Now you remember that story? It's so interesting, that story, because God gave Abraham a promise. You know, Paul tells us in Galatians 3, he tells us that the scriptures foreseeing what God would justify the Gentiles by faith, they preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying that in you all nations would be blessed. Abraham had received this promise from God. And he'd received a land, a seed, and a blessing covenantal promise. But now God is asking for the son. The one thing that's going to fulfill all the promises God's asking for. And what does Abraham do? Well, interesting enough, it says that Abraham got up early. He got up early in the morning. That's the kind of faith that he had. You know, how many of you might have hit snooze on that testing day? Maybe push it up. God, can we do tomorrow? Abraham got up early. And in this majestic, mighty, magnificent story in which God is absolutely orchestrating, the father is bidding the son to go up the hill to sacrifice. And what does the son carry on his shoulders? Wood. Sounds like we've heard this story before. The son is carrying wood going up the hill to do the father's bidding on the sacrifice. Now I ask you, what's the first question in the Old Testament? God asks Adam, where are you? What's the first question that man asks in the Old Testament? Where is the sacrifice? Where are you? Where is the sacrifice? So Abel is doing the bidding of the father, carrying the wood up the hill on the sacrifice. And at that pivotal moment, Abraham lifts up a knife and the voice of heaven says what? Stop. The test is complete. Yes, God tests you. Now I know that you fear God, Abraham. They call it the achidah, the binding. Abraham looks off. And there is a lamb caught in a thorn bush, a perfect male lamb, full grown. A ram is caught in a thorn bush. And Abraham says, in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. And I'm standing right on that place, that sacred place where this incredible story took place. 
And I thought to myself, Abraham believed. And because he believed, God said he was righteous. Abraham believed God, and God thought of him as righteous. I'm asking you to do one thing this morning. Believe God. Stand in the same faith as Abraham. Now, we, 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 we always as Americans, we're like, so how's your week? How you doing? And what do we do? We emotionally respond, don't we? Well, you know, it's great. The Astros won, blah, 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 you know. And then like, oh, we're doing this. Or, you know, it wasn't that great. You know, my neighbor cut my grass on accident. Or, you know, all of the stupid stuff that we say. But it's emotional. Notice how we don't respond. We don't talk about our faith. Our faith is supposed to be the most important thing. The Bible says that we're justified by our faith. That means faith should come up. Faith should be a normal part of our life. Rather, next time you, someone asks you, how are you doing, you can just automatically start talking about your faith. You know why? Because your faith is supposed to be the most important thing about you. You're justified. You're telling me, hold on a second, I'm right before God because of my faith? Then that should be out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. We should constantly be talking to them. So I got a question for you. How you fa- how's your faith? How you doing? You, you doing okay? Your faith's good? It's a really important question. You know, we don't talk that way. Like, how's my faith? You'd be like, if I asked you that, like with, the, with these laser beams, you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, great, great, yeah. How's your faith? There's two ways to increase your faith. Don't you think your faith should increase? I want my faith to increase. We go from glory to glory and from faith to faith. I want my faith to increase. I want more faith in the God of Abraham tomorrow than I had today. Are you with me? So there's two ways in which your faith increases. Number one is through the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to have the word of God going off constantly in our lives, and it's never easier. I remember when I was a young Christian, I was on a job site, and I had like this disc scan disc player. <laughs> kind of ages me. <laughs> before, before CD or MP3, it was like a scan disc. And, so, and I had this copy of like James Earl Jones reading the New uh, Testament. And if you don't know who James Earl Jones is, that's Darth Vader. Nothing will put the fear of God in your life more than Darth Vader reading 1 John. He that sins is of his father, the devil. I'm like, watch out, Luke, they're coming. You know, it's like this terrifying thing. But you need to have the word of God playing in your house, in your businesses. Your children need to constantly, hey, Alexa, put on Romans. See that? So easy. You have no excuse. If you're going to let the government in to listen to you, you might as well let the government listen to the word of God. Can I get an amen? Oh, wow. But it's not. So number one way to increase faith is let the word of God come, right? We can put it on YouTube. You can watch it on Netflix, Gospel According to Matthew. Let the word of God loose. That's one way. The next way, Paul's in the epistle of Jude, Jude says this. Build up, beloved, your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. So the way that we increase faith is by reading the word out loud. It comes by hearing and praying in the Holy Ghost. So we read and we listen and then we pray in the Holy Spirit. And by doing this, our faith is increased. 
Our inner man is strengthened. That's how we get from a, oh, the world's out to get me. Everybody's trying to be bad at me and the devil's out. That's how we move from that to this is our faith, the faith that overcomes the world. It's a completely different situation. The, the people that are like, oh, I'm so worried about the, 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 the situation and the circumstance and the enemy. Well, I got news for you. If you act that way, the enemy's not even concerned about you. He already got you. And, and so be on this side, having that most holy faith, beloved, walking in the power and might of the Lord, with your faith is increased and strengthened. Amen? So this is the faith. So Abraham had that kind of faith. To have faith means to lean on with absolute trust. Like this pulpit is, I'm trying, it's taking all, your chair right now. It's taking the full weight. The full responsibility of you is in that chair. That's the understanding what it means to have faith. Complete trust and reliance. Now, no, we don't have two people on one chair in here. That's impossible. You see that? The complete trust and reliance, that's the concept of faith, is that all, all of it, all of the weight, all of the reliance, leaning not on your own understanding, but completely trusting and relying on him. That's the faith. David had this same understanding. If we keep going in Romans chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is once again accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. That means we never can work our way into it. We have to work from it. You cannot work your way into heaven. Heaven must come into you and then you work from that place of acceptance and grace. You can't work for forgiveness. You work, must work from forgiveness. The forgiveness that's offered through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what Luther was willing to die for. This concept that we are justified freely by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Works in religion says do, do, do. Heaven says done. Justified freely by his grace. In Job in the ninth chapter, he asks a question. How can a man be righteous? Well, Paul answers in Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 25. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no one is justified. If we go to the 20th verse, that's in the third chapter I just read. But in the 20th verse, he says this, Romans 4, 20. He did not waver at the promise of God, this is speaking once again Abraham, through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he promised he was able to perform. That's faith. What God says he is able to do. So that is a comfort to me when he is called the Savior. It is accounted for him as righteousness. Not that it was written for his own sake alone, but it was imputed to him. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead and was delivered up for our offenses and raised because of our justification. High language, theological language. Let me simplify it for you. I met this man from Korea. 
He had zero biblical knowledge. He didn't know anything about the gospel. He didn't know anything about God. He had never had a Bible. He, we are so privileged, Americans. He comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and he gets to the point when he wants to express this faith through water baptism because he knew that Jesus had died for him and that he knew that he could be right with God, and so he confessed and repented and believed. And his exact words, Kai Jung Nam's First words, after water baptism, I believe, I write with God. The simplicity of the gospel, I believe, I'm right with God. Abraham believed God and was accounted to him as righteousness. Everything will distract you from the simplicity of the gospel. Do you truly believe? If you truly believe, then you'll truly repent. If you truly repent, then you truly believe. Repentance and faith is what the apostles are to preach in my name, starting in Jerusalem to all nations. Two sides of the same coin, two tracks of the train, repentance and faith. Verse 5, chapter 5. Let's move into chapter 5. Therefore, because of the justification of free grace that we've just learned about in chapter 4, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there, Americans. Most of you, 45% of most Americans are on some type of psychosomatic anxiety medication. Read the scripture again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you need peace? Do you need peace? Do you need peace in your mind for anxiety, for worry, for, for mental trouble? Do you need peace? The justification by faith, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. The first thing that Jesus said after he rose from the dead, peace. If there's one thing Americans need now more than ever is peace. Peace through justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. Not that we work to peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If that doesn't get you fired up, your wood is wet. That we stand in hope just as Luther stood before his executioners with hope in the glory of God. That's that great principle. And now my favorite part. Now the hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so the word there for shed abroad is this concept of liberal applying Pouring out, gushing out, eruption. It is an overflow. That is what that means, this love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. But this is most of us Americans. I've got my 401k in my house, you know. I've got my house and my house. I got to go fast. A door, okay, all right. All right, then we got our, uh, let's see, oh, no, we're Americans, two-car garage, hello. We got our two-car garage, 
And though you know we're supposed to love our neighbors, but let's put a huge fence, picket fence. Let's have a gated, gated community, like it, good idea. Gated communities, keep those people out. Okay, and so we have everything, everything we need. Well, wait, wait a second, you know. You know, I think, I think we need a happy little tree. A little happy tree there, yeah. Sounds good. And a big, you know, you know, some big trees over here. Oh, it's autumn. It's autumn, Kyle. It's autumn. We, we need to, you know, cut, you know, autumn, autumn leaves. There we go. All right. So we, we got it going. You know, we have grass because, you know, it's not, not, you know, be civilized. So American. Okay, what color do y'all want? Well, say it out loud. Let's go blue. Yeah. So, good choice. Blue house. Look at that. Hey, amen. This is starting to look good. Oh, well, hold on a second. We need that red Tesla. For, you know, we gotta, there we go. Kind of, okay, purple Tesla. All right. All right, so we have the American dream. We got everything we ever wanted. We got the car. All right, we got it all. Isn't this great? And this is exactly, this is what you've been, went to college for, what you work for, 40, 40 years. You get your American dream. This is it. The love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. What happens when the love of God gets involved? What does 1 Corinthians 13 say? Well, love suffers long. You ready? So when the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, your little pretty penny is patient. It's kind. It rejoices not in the truth. It bears not in iniquity. Yes, it's not when the love of God, I'm talking about the love of the gospel coming into your life. It's going to ruin, ruin everything about you. It's going to ruin your little American dream. It's going to be this completely different and radical thing. It's uncontrollable, uncontainable. When the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, your little religious box of how you thought your life was going to go, it's over. It's completely done. The love's going to get into everything. It's going to get into your finances. It's going to get into your neighborhood. It's going to get into your interactions. It's going to get into your family and the way that you were raised. Everything is going to be constrained and contrained by the love of God. It's going to, it's going to change everything. It's going to be, yeah, it's messy. Oh, oh, yeah. It's messy, religious people. It's messy. But it's the gospel. It is, what is it going to look like? It's going to look like a hurricane of love, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. It's going to cause you to love more, sacrifice more, pray more, give more. It's going to cost you your life. You cannot come to the king of kings and have your own kingdom. But when the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, because that's the thing, I think people, they want just like a little color. They just want like a little accent. But God sheds the love of God abroad in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's not provoked. Love is not triggered. It thinks no evil. It wants no evil. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things, endures all things. Hear me now. Love never fails. The answer to this world right now, it's love. Love for your neighbors. Love for those who disagree with you. Love for those who hate you. That's the power of the gospel. So how do we get this love inside of our hearts? 
Well, we have to go to Jesus. We have to go to the greatest demonstration of love. How do we have this kind of abundant love? Well, it's very, very, very simple. God, 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 God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, the godly for the ungodly, the righteous for the unrighteous. If you want the love of God to erupt in your heart, be like Luther and lay on the ground and say, show me the cross. Show me the cross of Christ. And with this passion of the cross, the love of God will fill your heart. If God can forgive you with all of your sins, don't you have forgiveness to your neighbor? Don't you have forgiveness to those who hurt you? What can man do to you when you have the love of God in your heart? You're unstoppable. You're unstoppable with the love. And that's what the gospel is. It's the agape, the love of God erupting in your heart. That means you can't be boring. That means you can't be civilized. It's going to be messy. It's going to be revolutionary. It's going to be transformative. That's what the gospel is. It's the power of God unto salvation. God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of Christ. Except the cross. The only thing in this world that's worth boasting about is the cross. While we were yet sinners, while we were in enemies of God, he suffered and he died. Think of the most powerful, one of the most powerful men in the ancient story. That story is the centurion. He's over a, a hundreds of men for the sake of Rome, for military conquest. And this powerful, mighty Roman leader sees the cross. He sees Jesus of Nazareth on the cross. And his only response to the cross of Christ was surely this man is the son of God. Would you stand with me? Paul goes on in Romans, and he talks about in the fifth chapter, he talks about what was lost with Adam and how that man went in the way of Adam and man went after the influence of Adam and they all became sinners and they all went selfishly. But Paul makes this juxtaposition. He says, yes, man went after the way of Adam. They went in sin and rebellion. But now, now don't go in the way of the first Adam. Now go in the way of the last Adam, which is Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, what is the conclusion? Sin reigned in death, even that grace may reign in righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Simply that means that Jesus saves from the power, penalty, and practice of sin. What was lost with Adam is restored now through the righteousness of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, in this moment I give you an opportunity to respond to the clarity of the gospel. The claims of the gospel are simple, repent and believe. Turn from your sins and put your absolute trust in Jesus. If you're going to make that decision now, as a public testimony, everyone looking, if you're saying, yes, 
Simply, I repent and I believe. I trust that Jesus died for me and I want the love of God in my heart.